The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend. Welcome to Squawk Box. Your headlines, European gas prices are soaring with the UK Business and Energy Secretary holding crisis talks with suppliers today amid a warning from Turkey producer Bernard Matthews that Christmas will be cancelled. But the UK's COP26 president plays down concerns. People should be confident uh, that uh, uh, the supplies will be there and that we will be protecting them uh, in terms of price rises. But of course, we're not complacent about this. Olaf Scholz emerges as a clear winner in the latest televised debate just a week before Germany heads to the polls. But the CDU's Armin Laschet remains hot on his heels. The Hang Seng sinks as Chinese property developer Evergrande plunges once again, facing twin bond payment deadlines this week and now paying wealth product investors back, well, paying back in property. And the fallout hitting Aussie mining stocks with worries over demand for construction materials from China as iron ore prices continue to climb. It's a big week for central bank policy meetings with attention on the Fed and its potential taper amid Treasury Secretary Yellen's warnings over the weekend of the consequences of a US debt default. So, very good morning to you. As we uh, begin a fresh week and we contemplate the Fed's uh, decision-making process here, it is just worth taking a moment, I think, to reflect on the week we uh, have just said goodbye to. Uh, and the uh, the week, as you can see, was difficult to the close with the US markets broadly ending in negative territory with the S&P and the NASDAQ pretty much at a dead heat, down nine-tenths of one percent. The messaging coming out of the markets at the moment is we are struggling to find a fresh catalyst to add to risk positions at the moment. Um, And interesting that as we uh, look at the way this third quarter is developing, there are some peculiar anomalies around uh, various trades at the moment. Our friends from High Frequency Economics raising some interesting questions. If we have so much inflation, why isn't the gold price reacting more aggressively? Seems to be operating on on its own fundamentals at the moment. And if we have uh, so much growth, why aren't commodity prices outside of gas much stronger at the moment? Why are the miners weakening? Well, they're all terrific questions, and we will endeavour over the course of the next three hours to supply you with uh, a snapshot of various investor and analysts' impressions as to where the market could potentially go next. Uh, The Treasury curve also very interesting right now because even as we've had some of this weakness uh, around uh, risk assets. We've uh, actually seen 
uh, still a little bit of selling around the 10-year note. Um, we've got green on the board here right now, but look at that yield, one spot 363. Tells you an awful lot about where we've come to, given the more recent weakness we've seen on those yields. And you just get the sense that the whole yield curve has just nudged up a little bit here as uh, investors have become uh, concerned about the direction of travel with the Federal Reserve and some kind of taper announcement. Um, let's have a quick look at the dollar. Um, to be honest, I don't think there's a huge amount of movement around the, uh, the dollar crosses. Um, if you look at where we are sitting on the, uh, the main stories, uh, sterling dollar, well, 137, we're there or thereabouts for some time. Uh, dollar yen, we're 109. Euro dollar, as you can see, one spot 17. Um, let's have a look at uh, some more of the uh, key markets that you need to focus on. And you, you may uh, be wondering, why is this just Hong Kong and Australia? Well, our friends out in the east are celebrating the mid-autumn festival. And if you like a high-calorie, um, uh, high-sugar, um, uh, 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 high-cholesterol uh, uh, confection, then I commend you to the mooncake, which is something I enjoyed back in my days in Hong Kong. But you can't eat too many of them in one go, otherwise you might suffer a coronary. Um, the Hang Seng Index then, taking it on the chin. Finally, the market seems to have caught up on this Evergrande story. We've been talking about it here on the program for weeks as we've been digesting debt crisis after debt crisis story in China. Huarong was one that we brought to your attention several months ago and the Chinese authorities stepped in and said, nothing to see here, we will make this good, nothing to worry about. Well, now we've come to Evergrande and it's a much bigger issue and it is very much keyed into the whole issue of where we go on property prices uh, in China and how those first and second tier cities are going to adjust to the risks around uh, an Evergrande going bust. Nobody says it's going bust at the moment. Lots of people think it may go bust. But of course, the question is, will the Chinese authorities step in and make local investors whole and prevent foreign investors from getting egg on their face? Australia also open, of course, and very difficult on a day when you've got a lot of weakness uh, in the Hong Kong market and you've got this pressure on uh, commodity prices and miners. Difficult to see the uh, Australian market find a better gear. We are down 2% right now. Let's um, flip the boards one more time. Let's have another look at where we are on the energy complex. And even as there is this big focus on the natural gas price at the moment, as you can see here, we just had a, a slight easing uh, on the price. Uh, the WTI and Brent quotes also a little easier this morning, but we are still well above $70 a barrel. And I've been here a long time, but I do want to show you very quickly just where we are on those uh, commodity prices, uh, the, or rather the miners uh, that uh, obviously uh, are important to those commodity prices. We are down over 4% across the board here, as you can see, on these key mining stocks. And that's a, a very interesting question, Steve, I think, as we grapple with the shape of this uh, economic rebound and recovery. Why are our commodity prices, why are our miners so weak this morning? 
Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And I keep reading about stagflation this weekend. Hey, one thing you did miss, Jeffrey, you talked about the Mid-Autumn Festival in China. Of course, it's the Respect for the Elderly Day in Japan, and that's why they're not on the board at the moment today. So I'm just hoping uh, Respect for the Elderly Day will transfer itself to our producers being a little bit kinder to you and I today. Right. Moving on, as Jeff was saying, uh, commodity prices, front and foremost. Gas prices are soaring. UK amongst the hard, hardest hit to oil and gas UK says wholesale prices for gas are up 250% since January, with a 70% rise uh, since the start of August. And that's before an expected demand spike in the colder winter months. The Prime Minister, Mr Johnson, said the problem is temporary. And it's all about gas markets, doesn't he? Uh, saying high demand in Asia had hit UK supplies. His comments come as some of the UK's largest energy groups see government support. Business and Energy Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng uh, held talks with the regulator Ofgem on Sunday and will meet energy suppliers today. The spiking prices are also hitting the food sector after two fertilizer plants were forced to close. Uh, shutting Britain's CO2 production, well, a large amount of it anyway. Carbon dioxide is a key component used in the supply and storage of meat. It's also used as uh, part of the stunning of animals before slaughter, just out of incidentally. Uh, the Times reports that while the industry may ha just have two weeks left of supplies, meanwhile, the owner of Turkey producer Bernard Matthews apparently had warned that Christmas may be cancelled. Well, uh, it won't be cancelled for all of us, will it? Uh, anyway, COP26 President Alex Sharma played down the risks of concerns uh, to Sky News. A clear message that is coming out of this is that uh, there is no immediate uh, concern in terms of supply. Uh, we don't see any risks uh, going into the winter. And when it comes to prices, we of course have an energy price cap. There are also mechanisms such as the warm home discount, which are available to support people as well. Uh, so people should be confident uh, that uh, uh, the supplies will be there and that we will be protecting them uh, in terms of price rises. But of course, we're not complacent about this. And that's precisely why the business secretary is having these very detailed discussions with the sector. Uh, well, let's get some more views on this. Um, Dan joins us. Uh, and Dan, the uh, politicians in Europe are, are running around like headless chickens at the moment, pointing the uh, fickle finger of blame at anyone they think might be responsible but themselves. It's down to not enough wind for the turbines. It's because the wrong energy choices were made in some countries like Spain, according to some of the utilities. And of course, there's our old friend Russia. Is it Mr. Sechin who's responsible for Europe's lack of gas and these high prices? Um, what's the truth? Well, there's certainly a lot to unpack here, Jeff, and it might be too soon or perhaps unfair to liken this to a Lehman weekend in the UK energy space, but it certainly feels something like it because we've seen this range of emergency meetings taking place yesterday, more meetings to come today, and now we're seeing energy suppliers requesting what could be a multi-billion pound emergency support package from the government to ride out this crisis sparked by high gas prices. Now, I've been speaking with analysts this morning, getting some insight on what's driving all of this. Of course, as you know, we have seen gas prices hitting recent highs and tripling this year, in fact, on a range of supply and demand factors. Traders really fearing that Europe is heading into winter with low stocks, given lower supplies from Russia, as you point out, but also a lack of domestic alternatives in peak demand season. Remember, we've seen surging gas demand in Asia as well, and analysts say climate policies have had a role to play here too. There's one view out there that also suggests that renewables aren't holding up. 
This green push has left people in the dark, and now the UK and some countries in Europe are over-reliant on the weather for energy security and supply. The question being, is Europe too dependent on these intermittent sources of energy? And is this what the energy transition looks like? A question mark on Russia's role as well, and you were correct to highlight this because Gazprom is a critical natural gas supplier to the European markets. But what we've seen is Russian gas actually dropping by about a fifth. That's exports to the European markets. Uh, and of course, how much of this is linked to geopolitics and Nord Stream 2 uh, is also a key question here. So look, these meetings are going to continue today. We've seen the UK Business and Energy Secretary Kwasi Korteng holding emergency talks with Ofgem on Sunday. He's going to be meeting with energy suppliers today. And there are also fears out there that this could lead to a major contagion that could also result in more smaller energy companies going bust over the next couple of weeks, which is really important to watch. As you pointed out as well, we've seen the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying these energy challenges are temporary. He says things are going to start to smooth out. But of course, the wider fear here is about a growing consumer backlash as well, which would have significant political implications for him. There's also worries about how this might impact price inflation as well. So clearly that would put the economic recovery at risk and there is contagion risk to this narrative. So what are we going to see happen next? Well, part of the plan that's being floated would be to create this so-called bad bank to absorb at-risk customers from failing rivals. But the scale of support that the industry needs right now really remains to be seen. Reports say, as I mentioned before, that it could be worth billions of pounds if we see more of these energy suppliers failing in the next few weeks. So this is a really significant story. It's almost as if it came out of absolutely nowhere. Not for us though, because if you go back and have a look at the CNBC website, we've been reporting on this for the past couple of months. And of course, higher energy prices, higher gas prices in particular, have not gone unnoticed by consumers and the industry. It's back to you. Terrific, Dan. Thank you so much for that. Uh, well, let's uh, refocus on the uh, European aspect to this. Millions of homes in the UK will see their energy bills rise from next month as a higher price cap comes into effect. And there are fears Ofgem may lift the cap again in February. That's the regulator here in the UK for the energy sector. Last week, Spain announced emergency measures to keep bills down, channeling €3 billion Euros of company profits to consumers and cutting taxes during winter. Meanwhile, Italy warned prices could jump 40% in the coming quarter, having spent more than €1.2 billion Euros to lower bills over the summer. Greece will offer subsidies and France has given grants to an estimated 6 million people with the scheme being considered for extension. And of course, Steve, I think, um, well, it'd be interesting to see if you're of a different um, mindset on this, but I am constantly frustrated by examples of industries that fail to hedge what is their primary asset and uh, to run their business on a commercial basis and then turn around when times are tough to the public uh, uh, coffers and say, well, privately, we make profits. Publicly, you need to dip your hands into your pockets and the taxpayer needs to help us out if there is a problem with our business model. Yeah, yeah, totally. Look, I'm a former option trader. I, I've always advised people to take out some form of insurance on the market as well. It's, but they don't do it. And, it. and it's the same reason why we see so many fund managers who are long only refusing to take out any form of downside protection at all at any level, despite 
markets when they're doing very, very well, uh, basically leaving them in a position where they've made loads of profits, but because they don't want to give away a couple of basis points, they don't take out protection. And this is exactly the same. To, for me to read this morning that the bigger players are okay because they have hedged products in the whole wholesale market, but the smaller players um, cannot do that. That's absolute rubbish. Why can't smaller players have a business model that involves some form of hedging? Uh, and you have to blame the government as well on this one as well. They've created this situation where you've got dozens of companies. Well, I think there were over 90 at one point, but we're going to be perhaps as low as 10 uh, by the end of this carnage as well. Created all these companies. And what about their business model? Where is the, the pressure on these companies, these small companies, to take out hedges when times are very good, as you quite rightly say? We're not talking about tiny companies here. We're talking about companies who have hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions of customers, but aren't taking out protection in wholesale markets. Uh, and again, you again you have to go to the stage. Well, the government's very populist and likes having price caps. Whichever government, by the way, whether it's a, a left of centre, right of centre, whatever, price caps to protect consumers, price locks, what have you. Well, the UK government does not control the wholesale market. This is now blatantly very clear. So how do you have? price caps in place which protect those consumers but don't help out those companies when actually the wholesale markets have gone through the roof. So I blame the companies themselves, I blame the government for the structure of the market uh, and again dare I say it, let's go back to this, a couple of other bigger issues as well and as, as um, our correspondent was pointing out there as well the fact of the matter is the energy storage solutions from renewables at the moment just don't pass muster. They're just not good enough at the moment. So you need more reliable fuels, which are going to be there regardless. Funnily enough, gas is one of those. So for those advocates of gas as a transition fuel as well towards the ultimate aim uh, of, of complete renewables, and let's face it, there are many people out there who say that hydrocarbons are, could well become unburnable, uninvestable, unextractable. Well, we're not there yet, are we? While we don't have reliable storage facilities and functions and, and technologies, we still need, funnily enough, good old gas and to a certain extent, good old oil as well. I mean, I make no bones about it. I live in the middle of the countryside. I do not have a gas supply. I don't have a gas supply. I rely on heating oil. Uh, and obviously, there are other forms of renewables one can have as well, but heating oil prices are relatively stable at the moment. They're pretty much tied to the price of Brent, which, as uh, we were hearing earlier, roughly around about 74 bucks and a bit of change at the moment as well. Prices have barely moved to the upside in recent weeks, despite the fact that we're seeing these gas prices rise. Final point for me, Jeffrey, as well, inflation. What does this mean? for Eurozone central bankers and indeed for British central bankers and others as well. You are getting a huge spike in inflation on the base of this. Question is, does it go through to core? No, absolutely. And I'll just reinforce that point here. Which part of this wasn't totally foreseeable by either governments, energy departments or indeed the practitioners in the industry? Because it's a well understood saying in the energy markets that um, higher prices beget lower prices, lower prices beget higher prices because producers follow the signal of the market on pricing and either lift production or cut production based on the profit they're likely to make as a result here. So when you have a market that is uh, not totally free, this is a regulated market in many economies, there is the opportunity always for market intervention. And we've had very high gas production levels, uh, not only from the Middle East and Russia, but from the United States uh, through uh, shale and out of Australia, of course, where they have major gas reserves. 
We've seen a spike of something like, I don't know, 30 to 40 percent over the last 10 years. Which part of that was difficult to understand if you are an energy secretary or you are running a, uh, an energy department in a government in Europe? Still to come on the programme, Germany's Olaf Scholz clashes with rivals Armin Laschet and Annalena Baerbock over taxes and minimum wages a week before voters go to the polls to choose their next chancellor. We'll have more details when we come back. Well, you can listen to our Scorebox podcast this week if you can't watch the show. But if you can't watch the show, I'm not sure why I'm telling you about this podcast. But anyway, we'll continue our coverage of Europe's gas shortage whilst also keeping a close eye, of course, on the upcoming Federal Reserve policy meeting. Uh, that's tomorrow, Wednesday. We'll be back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. We should call this the election belt, I think. The United Russia Party is claiming victory in Russia's parliamentary elections this weekend. Early results show the pro-Kremlin party retaining its majority in parliament despite losses in some areas. Meanwhile, there have been reports of tactical voting and bailout uh, or ballot violations in some districts. Uh, Germany's Social Democrat leader Olaf Scholz has emerged as a clear winner of the latest televised debate a week before voters uh, go to the polls. The country's current finance minister sparred with his main rivals, the CDU's Armin Laschet and the Green Party's Annalena Baerbock over tax policy and minimum wages. Uh, the SPD's Olaf Scholz reiterated his promise of a minimum wage of 12 euros per hour, arguing that he's been pushing for the increase for years. I stand for a statutory minimum wage of 12 euros, which will be introduced immediately. I stand for us getting a stable pension, and I stand for us taking all the decisions necessary in the first year of the new government to ensure that we transform the renewable energies so that we have a modern industry with good jobs that operate in a climate-neutral way. Uh, Scholz rival CDU leader Armin Laschet accused him of making promises he will not be able to keep. We have agreed. You too have proposed we start at 8.5 euros, and every year ask the unions and the employers to make a proposal. Now you say 12 euros and announce soon I'll ask the unions again, which doesn't add up. Meanwhile, the Green Party's Annalena Baerbock uh, struck a conciliatory tone, uh, leaving the door open to a potential coalition with the SPD. I've just made it very, very clear that I think it's time for the Union to go into opposition. We have a lot of common ground with the SPD in many areas of social policy. But as I said, we need strong Greens above all to make a real fresh start. Current polls put the uh, Social Democrats in the lead with 26%, uh, with the ruling CDU at 20% and the Greens at 17%. Germans will choose their next Chancellor 
this Sunday. And I should just add that there's going to be some terrific coverage. Uh, not only will we have, of course, Annette Weiss back, but uh, Mr. Cutmore will be flying out to Berlin as well, one of the great cities of Europe, to uh, discuss the ramifications. Let's get to Anna Rosenberg, though, ahead of that, head of UK and EU at Signum Global. Anna, lovely to see you back on the channel again this morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. So, big ramifications. I guess we're looking at the moment at a, a, a strong lead uh, for the Social Democrats as well. That could transpire to be something completely different on Sunday. But given what we know already, what are your thoughts about this one, Anna? Well, we are maintaining our base case, and our base case is a, actually a, a coalition government that includes the CDU-CSU, most likely in the lead, together with the SPD and the FDP. And that is uh, against the current trend lines in the opinion polls, if you will. And the reasons for those are, are really quite structural. Um, we are taking the current opinion polls with a, with a pinch of salt, primarily because in Germany, um, voters select a party. They do not vote a candidate. And there it is uh, quite tricky for a CDU supporter to actually jump ship and go and vote for the SPD. There are not that many swing voters. There's a lot of discontent with Laschet, and we believe that this is what you're seeing in the polls. But ultimately, when, when a CDU voter, especially one that preferred the more right-of-center candidate Markus Söder, which was Armin Laschet's rival, that candidate is not going to jump to the SPD. So ultimately, they're going to grudgingly um, make the cross next to the CDU, and that's why we're maintaining our base case. However, I have to say that since last night's debate, in which Laschet really emerged as the clear loser, our base case has come under pressure. That's very interesting. Now, let's talk more about coalition, because we have grown up thinking very basic comments. Italian coalition historically leads to some form of chaos. German coalition leads to some form of strength. Well, the Italians at the moment are, are turning that on its head with under Draghi, a pretty strong coalition at the moment, a unity government as well. What about a coalition government in Germany as well and the length of time it might well take to create one as well? Is it necessarily, though, going to create strong government? It depends. It depends on the combination, of course, and not necessarily. No, I think there are various coalition scenarios in which you could see quite an unstable and, and un, an organized government, really. So we have in this election for the first time the likelihood of three party coalition emerging because no party seems to be having enough votes to really make it, except if you actually have another grand coalition between SPD and CDU CSU, which is still a possibility, even though last night both Annalena Baerbock and Olaf Scholz said, no, they want the CDU to be in opposition. So if we're looking at the different uh, coalitions, you have a coalition uh, most likely between the CDU, the Greens and the FDP. That's our base case, and that's a fairly stable coalition, the CDU and the pro-liberal, pro, pro pro-business FDP is uh, is pretty much in line with the CDU um, on the political goals. So that one should be a fairly stable coalition government. The one where I think we would get a more erratic policy making is a coalition between the SPD, the Greens and the FDP. The FDP may feel that they actually have to enter in this coalition because if they do not, then the SPD and the Greens will enter into a coalition with the far lefty Linke. But that means that there are going to be a lot of clashes between the FDP and the SPD and the Greens, especially when it comes to financial matters, because the FDP are, are much tighter with money than the SPD and the Greens are who want to take on considerably more debt.
Anna, do equity investors into German companies need to be worried about rising taxes at this point? Should our audience be repositioning their portfolios? Absolutely. I think that's a risk that is underestimated. Um, for In most coalitions, you have it at, it at least being somewhat likely that there are going to be tax increases, especially in coalitions that include both the SPD and the Greens. And there are quite a few options of those, right? Um, you can have the SPD and the Greens with the FDP. You can have the SPD and the Greens with the CDU CSU. And you can have the SPD and the Greens with Die Linke. And that means that you actually have, in quite a lot of the possible outcomes, a tax increase um, for businesses and for um, higher income earners. It depends on the type of coalition and what kind of power dynamics there would be, but tax increases will happen under Olaf Scholz. And something that is also not being looked at very clearly is the issue around a cap on rent. Um, that is also much more likely than is generally assumed in any of those coalition um, possibilities that I just outlined. <coughs> Are you okay? Uh, do you need a glass of water or uh, no, to take a break? You. I'm okay. All oh, good. Okay. Let, let me just push on here because one of the other stories that we're going to talk about later on in the program is this ongoing vociferous reaction from the French to the perceived snub over AUKUS, this new uh, trilateral pact with Australia, the UK and the Americans. Um, we are waiting for Germany, really, it seems, and have been waiting for some time for Germany to restate its role on the global stage. Um, it, it doesn't have the same force power projection abilities that the Brits to, to an extent the French and the Americans have, and yet it could have if it increased defence spending. And there does seem to be something of a vacuum when it comes to Germany's role on the EU stage and representing ultimately the power of its economy and being an important voice for liberalism globally. Is any of that going to change with um, Olaf Scholz perhaps as Chancellor? I think in most of the possible scenarios, you're looking at a continuation of the status quo, especially when it comes to the role of Germany in you know, defense issues in Europe as well. And Germans, the only ones that really have an outspoken viewpoint on Germany taking on much more responsibility in the EU are the Greens. The CDU and the SPD continue, you know, are going to continue on the same track that we have seen Germany on so far. The biggest difference uh, that you're going to see with the next German government is around um, taking on more EU debt. And there are, there are clear differences uh, amongst the, the possible outcomes of the coalition. But under a government with Olaf Scholz and the Greens, it is going to be much more likely that Germany would back a permanent EU recovery fund and not just a temporary one. So um, all parties are in favor of more EU integration. All parties are in favor of more EU autonomy on the international stage. But really pushing it, I think that the only ones who are going to do that are going to be the Greens, and they're going to likely be tuned down by their coalition partners. So again, it is, it's interesting to look at the individual party stances, but in most scenarios, they're going to normalize each other. And as a result, I think that the outcome is going to be mostly the same, with an exception to the EU recovery fund, where I think under a left-wing government, especially if you have the Greens, the SPD and Die Linke, 
it is highly likely that the EU recovery fund will become a, a permanent issue, a permanent thing that they won't get rid of. Um, some of the, the, the different parties are stating in their manifestos that they want to go back to tightening EU fiscal rules. It's not going to happen. Uh, in most coalition scenarios, even in coalition scenarios that include the CDU and the, and the FDP, equally pulling out of Nord Stream 2 is not going to happen, even though the, the Greens pretend that they want to. So, in a way, continuation of status quo. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.